Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Well, good morning. Uh, Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, We're continuing in on our Ephesians series today. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible with you, you can open it up to there now. We're going to get there in just a moment. Uh, But before we do, I'm going to start actually with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. I I just feel like generally speaking, my my sermons will start better if I started with a quote from Spurgeon. So it's probably one of my favorite quotes of his for sure. Probably maybe one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's lengthy, so bear with me, but the whole thing is good. So um, Spurgeon says, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would have not been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place to earth on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone, and then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. As I have already said, the church is faulty. Amen? Amen. Amen. The church is faulty, but that is no excuse for your not joining it. If you are the Lord's, nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who, though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help that they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. Amen. Uh, It's not scripture, but it's good, right? It's good. the, the text we're in today, I start with that quote because the text that we're in today is really the hallmark verse uh, that's going to be used in any sort of like defining who the church is, defining the church's practice or its values or its methodology. Any sermon that's going to be about the church in general should probably include this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 that we're going to be reading today. And, and all cards in, okay, like I love the church. I love the church. When I hear it called the dearest place, I'm just like, yes, that's true. And so I know it's cliche, right? Like the pastor loves the church. That's, that's just what should happen, right? Um, but I really do, what I want to bring us into today is, is this heartbeat behind the church is not just an institution. The church is not just an organization. It is the bride of Christ. And, and to say that like, oh, well, I, I really love Jesus, but I just really don't love the church would kind of be like if you and I went out to dinner and we were with my wife and we were sitting there having a nice dinner together and we were chatting and you only paid attention to me. And every time Katie spoke up, you were just like, yeah, 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 whatever. But, but Austin, like, let me talk to you. And like, that's not going to sit well with me. Like, if you don't value my bride... I'm going to have a hard time valuing you. And I'm not Jesus, but I think the good thing to take note of, we should care about the things that Jesus cares about. The church is not just Christ's bride, it's also Christ's body. So we are are the bride of Christ, we are the body of Christ, it's the dearest place on earth. And what I hope that would kind of be incited in you today is just a, a love and an affection for the church of Jesus Christ. No, she's not perfect. Yes, she has her faults. 
But man, is it just, it's, it's the place where, um, we've heard before, the, I've heard before, maybe you've heard before, that the local church is the hope of the world. And I think you can kind of nuance that statement a little bit by saying the local church is the, is the vehicle in which the hope of Jesus arrives to people. It's, it's the arm in which his, his redemption and his reconciliation, re- reconciliation reach out into the world. That, that is the aim, that is the mission, that is the goal of the local church is to bring heaven, bring Jesus's hope and peace and glory to this earth through people imperfect as we are. It's God's plan. Sometimes I go, God probably wasn't the best plan, right? You're going to use us? You're going to use me? You're going to use some of you to bring God's glory to the earth? And yet it is his plan and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And what I hope is that we would all see ourselves as participants in it, okay? And so um, let's read Ephesians chapter four and then I'll kind of give you my outline for the day. We're going to be reading the first 16 verses. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. Paul starts by saying, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Those few lines are a little confusing. Yeah? We'll explain them in just a minute. Let's keep going. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, Jesus, we just ask that you would, that you would speak something today, God, that it wouldn't just be my uh, clever words or my organization of how I put my thoughts together for this, but God, would this, would this just be a mouthpiece for your scripture to permeate into our souls today, that we would fall deeply in love with the things that you are deeply in love with, that we would, that we would be passionate about the things that you are passionate about, that we would care deeply about the things that you care deeply about. That's not going to be some superficial um, speech that's going to invite us into that. God, it's going to be an awakening from your Holy Spirit deep in us. And so I ask that your spirit would penetrate us today and that we would, that we would be drawn in, that we would be invited, enticed into this idea that your church is your bride, is your body, and you love it and care for it dearly. Jesus, we love you and we ask this all in your mighty name. Amen. So, Preaching on the church to the church is always going to be a unique task. 
Because I say that word church and all of you sort of filter in some different thoughts and you build in your mind's eye a different picture probably. There's probably several different categories. As soon as I say the word church, there are some of you that have a really fond memory of church. Historically and culturally, you kind of put together this picture of maybe a church that you really loved that you went to growing up. Uh, You know, everything about it is sort of romanticized in your mind. And man, I'm really thankful for my Christian upbringing. I'm really thankful for the values that were instilled in me at such a young age. And you loved the church. I think we also got to acknowledge a lot of people who said, man, you know what? I had to unlearn some things from the church. I was really wounded. I was really hurt by the church. There's some of that that absolutely happens, right? Anytime there's authority or power that's given to anybody, that authority and power can be used. And again, we already covered the church is not a, it's not a sanctuary for these perfect people. It's actually for the sinful people. And as long as the church is still run by people, it's still going to be imperfect. And so that leads to wounding sometimes. That leads to hurt sometimes. That leads to things that have to be unlearned, things that have to be restored and healed. There's also a camp probably that I say the word church and you're just sort of indifferent, Sort of just like, oh yeah, church. It's just kind of something we do. You think of it more of maybe a social gathering. And this is kind of where my friends hang. So this is kind of where I hang. Or I don't really like to hang there, but mom and dad keep making me go, right? Like that's some of my kids right now in the front row. Like they're here at 730 and they didn't just sprout out of bed, jump into church, right? It was kind of like, we're going to church this morning. But there's some of us that can just even feel as adults indifferent. Like it's just part of something. It's part of the routine. It's something that's on the calendar. We just kind of do it. And then I think there's another category, and they're probably not here right now, um, but there's a lot of people, even speaking with a friend this week, where they kind of say, man, there's people out there, and I think the church needs to be aware of this. There's people out there who will say, I'm never going into that building, right? And they may have legit reasons for that. They may have illegitimate reason, reasons for that. They might think of us wrongly. They might have something very real that happened to them. But people out there will go, no, no thanks, church, I'm, I'm not going, I, they disqualify themselves. They say, I, I, my kind of behavior doesn't fit in a church. It doesn't fit with church people. I don't fit with church folk, right? Like, that's the thing. That's out there. And so we as a church need to be aware of that uh, because that's very real. The, um, let me just kind of give you my outline for all you type A'ers that are out there, okay? Let's um, kind of help you out a little bit. I think, I think this verse, I'm going to break it down into three distinct sections. And I think the first one is the implications of the gospel. The second would be the foundation for the church then that we build on from the implications of the gospel. And then the last is an invitation to grow. So we have these implications that the gospel gives us, and that creates a foundation that the, earth, that the church sits on, and that then invites us in. There's an invitation extended asking if you want to participate and grow. And so before we jump into it, before we jump into the first part, implications of the gospel, I think this is a really good activity that we can all do together real quick. And I used to do this a lot in student ministry. I think it's such a healthy activity is just asking, can you define the gospel? Can you define the gospel? And so, okay, no mic is getting passed around. Okay, don't worry about it. Like just, but think in your mind for a second, take a few sentences. What is the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus? So my experience, when you do something like this, you got it? Was that enough time? Some of you were like, that's too much time, bro. That silence was awkward. I think when I, when I do this, especially with students, when I've done this with other people as well, we usually tell a story that goes something like this. Well, I was in this spot. I was in this sin. I was in this behavior. You name it. It's all over the place, right? I've heard every story. You're in this spot. Jesus grabs you. And then you are transformed. You are saved. 
And, and it's either that or it's like I grew up in a Christian home and then I, maybe I wandered, maybe I just kind of made my faith my own when I was four, you know, got my prayer language when I was five and then I was just saved and moving. And all the testimonies are beautiful, but that we oftentimes will start with the sinful part of the story and we'll end with salvation, right? And before we talk about the implications of the gospel, I think it's, I think it's important that we give a more broad definition of the gospel because the gospel doesn't actually start with sin. And it doesn't actually just end with your salvation. The gospel actually starts with creation and ends in the, in the city, right? It starts in a garden, ends in this city where God's actually going to remake all things. And if we fail to articulate that the gospel starts with everything being perfect in the garden, then what we tend to do is we tend to neglect the fact that we're looking back while we're simultaneously looking forward as we've been saved. As in we're looking back to see what things used to be like in the garden, the perfection and the communion and the work that wasn't cursed and the relationship that was able to exist between man and woman and with God. And now that Jesus has come, yes, yes, there is sin. So that is absolutely part of the story. Yes, there is salvation. That's absolutely part of the story. But as we now sit here as saved people, we look back at the garden. We look at how things used to be, but we also look like we look forward to things that will come. Heaven is not going to be you and me on a cloud singing Christian radio songs for eternity. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Heaven is going to be God remaking, renewing, restoring this earth. And we're going to labor and we're going to continue to cultivate. And it's going to be beautiful. And this world won't be infested with the pains of sin that we've all participated in. But it'll be renewed. It'll be restored. That's where we're going. And if we fail to grasp that that's the whole gospel, then we will fail to miss our mission while we're still here. Because if the gospel really was just you being sinful and now you're saved, I have to believe if that was it, that God would just pluck you right up to heaven the moment you professed faith in him. Jesus, I believe in you. It's like, congratulations. Like just suck you right out, right? That's not, has been my experience. All right, so that's not what this is. What this is now is there's an invitation to participate in the mission of God because he's already begun bringing heaven to earth. It's not there yet but we're working at it right now. And that's the, that's the mission. And I think you've got to see that before we dive in here. So the implications of the gospel, I think there's, there's three of them that I'm going to draw out of this. The first one is that Paul says, um, oops, oops, lost my page here. In, in 4 verse 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So, so he says that word worthy paints the picture of a scale. And it would say, man, you have been called. And he just went all, all, all these great things that God has established towards us in him. And he says, this is who you are. This is who you're called in Christ. This is your identity that he's given you. Does the way that you walk now match with that identity? Is there balance in those two things? Because he calls you this. Do you walk like that? That's the question. And I think we covered really well that if you try and just white knuckle bear it, to just I'm going to behave like Christ. I'm going to do the things that he calls to do. You're going to miss it because all that Kent talked about last week is that this is not just given to us by grace, but it's also sustained by grace in this effort. It's a grace-driven effort that receives what God has done for us that produces a transformation to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Walk in a way that matches how God has called us. It's an implication of the gospel. 
Jesus has saved you. He has transformed you. It's going to change the way you walk. It's going to change the way you live. And the next few that he goes over are just really practical in how we relate to one another. He says, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, eager to maintain unity. So we're going to be, we're going to be, we're going to have humility towards one another. It literally means just to lift the other person up that's across from you, the, the other person that maybe disagrees with you, the person that you're sitting across from, you just lift them up in value and you, 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 suppress, you, don't, you don't discredit, you don't throw it away, but you diminish your value, just lift them up to make them feel more important for a moment. You value them. That's what humility does. It says, I'm going to put value onto you. I'm going to treat you like you're an image bearer of God. I'm going to value for you. So then we also will have gentleness with each other. That, that word gentleness, it shouldn't be confused with weakness, right? Sometimes you think of gentleness in our culture. I think it's, it's so often misconstrued with being weak. If someone's gentle, they're weak. This isn't weakness. It's closer to meekness, great power under great control. I think of a picture like if you had this big burly dad and you hand him his newborn baby, He's just this big, strong guy, but you just watch him be so delicate, right? As he takes that baby, it's this gentleness. I, I know you see the comment section on Facebook. I know you see the comment section on Instagram and you want to just eviscerate the people that are in there, but you have gentleness towards them. I know there's people that maybe don't think like you do right now, but we're not going to be just so angry and mean-spirited towards people. We're going to be gentle with them, seeking to restore them, seeking to bring them into the kingdom of God. We're gentle, we're humble, we're gentle, and we're patient. Come on, somebody. I'm not as far along as I wish I was right now. You're probably not as far along as you wish you were right now. That process takes time. That process has some backstepping every now and then. We slide back a little bit and being patient is hard, especially when you talk about dealing with real life, actual people, right? And maybe those people like legitimately aren't as smart as you and you have to be patient with them. It's hard, but we're patient. And I love this last one. We're not just, we're not just going to create unity. We're not just going to have unity. We're going to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. And it goes back to the last couple weeks where we said, God has given us so much in Christ that now we have so much more in common than we could ever have in the little differences that make us distinct. So even though my skin might not look like yours, even though we might not live in the same neighborhood, even though we might not earn the same amount of money, vote the same way, go to the same kind of school, have the same kind of background, even though we might have those distinct flavors even all in one room at one time, we're all here because Jesus is king and he saved me. And he's given me something. And that commonness together creates a unity that we should capitalize on not to get so divided in these things that are divisive. And, and you go, okay, that's, that's a tough list. How do I do those things? Well, well, I think for starters, you have to recognize it's the same way that God has dealt with you. Humility. God humbled himself. He was in heaven. He came down, put on flesh to live this life, to die in your place. It's probably one of the greatest acts of humility the world has ever seen. So we, we look at that humility. We look at the gentleness. I think of all the dumb things I thought as like a teenager and as a 20-year-old. I'm so glad that God didn't just smoke me right there. He's been gentle with me. He looks at me when I'm off and he goes, oh, honey, you're close, kind of, come on figure this out. He's gentle. Lord knows he's been patient with me. 
Lord knows he's been patient with you. He's been patient. How many times have we messed up and he's still available? He's still gracious. He's still loving. He's still kind, even though I can't get it figured out. He's patient with us. And so until you receive how God has acted towards you, you will never then be able to extend it out to the fellow people around you. Austin, but they, no, no, no. But you, but you first, but Jesus towards you. Now that starts to fix how we can relate with one another. So these are implications of the gospel. The last one is kind of this weird couple sentences here. Right, verse 8, it says, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Then Paul kind of elaborates. He's quoting Psalm 68 there. And he says, he's kind of expounding on it. He says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Psalm 68 is a psalm of victory. That, that a king, once he had won the battle, brought back the spoils of war and then gave those gifts to men. He, he led a host of captives and gave them good gifts. And what Paul is saying, Paul's tying the psalm because the Bible wasn't written when Paul wrote this letter. Like it wasn't all bound together and in a pretty little leather book like we have it now. Right, And so Paul is taking this Old Testament reference from King David and he's tying it directly to Jesus. And he says, look, Jesus is the one. He came down. He's the conquering king. He defeated death, sin, and the grave, left it all behind. And now he's ascended. That authority, that power that's been given to him to seat him up on high has now chosen to give you a gift. That's amazing. The full story of the gospel, again, is not just that you were saved so that you can bounce and go to heaven. The full story of the gospel says there's things to do and you're going to need to be equipped to do them. You're going to need some gifts to go out there because the world's dark. Satan's real. The enemy's out there. You're going to need some things if you're going to go fight him. And so I just want to set this up, right? There's implications to the gospel. It's going to change the way we walk. It's going to change the way we interact with one another. And, and the gospel actually goes so far as to say, you're not just saved and now you're done. You're saved. And so now you're involved. Now you're going. Now you're a part of the mission that's going to go forward in the kingdom. So let's jump in then now to the foundations for the church. I'm going to read verse 7, and then I'm going to go right to verse 11. Okay, so I'm going to kind of skip that part because I think it reads, that thought goes together. In verse 7, he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So, this is what's called the five-fold ministry. And what the five-fold ministry represents are the gifts that's given to the people who lead the church, who lead the church. But if you'll notice here, what I'm going to major on here is that the ministry, the, the five-fold ministers exist to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I'm going to elaborate in just a second. But if for any reason there's in your mind this going like, wait, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, what, like what is all that? I just want to invite you right now, Pastor Kent, in the fall, right? Like we're getting everything trying to, like you heard John saying, we're trying to get everything back on track post-COVID, right? Pastor Kent in the fall is going to be teaching an empowerment class where you get to see the unique wiring and giftedness that God's given to you and all this kind of weird Holy Spirit stuff that you see the people in the Bible doing, but you wonder why it's so weird now. 
He's going to just walk us through that. And we're going to practice it really practically. And you're going to get to see the things that God has uniquely wired you with. And space is limited. It's going to be limited for that class. And so as soon as you see it, you better sign up. Okay? So I'm not going to focus on the fivefold gifts. What I'm going to focus on instead is that word equipped. Because we live in a culture that doesn't think this way. We live in a culture that thinks church is for our attendance. Church is for our watching, our spectating. But we don't really see it as a place where we come to get equipped. And I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. And so I'm going to kind of break down some of the reasons for that. First and foremost is that I think we live in this consumeristic culture. We're immersed in it. We can't, we can't detach it. That's, where, that's who we live in. And for the record, I love free market economics. I think that being a consumeristic culture is awesome at a restaurant. It's awesome at a concert. It's awesome at the gym. It's awesome at the store where literally all these companies have put me at the top of their priority list. That feels good, doesn't it? Like, I, like, do you get this right now? I have like over a dozen companies working for me, for my attention, that are working overtime to, to create the highest quality at the cheapest price and the most convenient delivery of a multivitamin just so I don't have to eat vegetables anymore. <laughs> That's incredible. I love it. I love it when I go to a, 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 a concert or something and everything is set up for me. You don't roll up to a football game and they go, oh, hey, would you mind actually running the scoreboard today? That's not the way the world works. And listen, in the world, I'm about it. In the world, I think it's awesome. I love the fact that they're making air-conditioned, like, steering wheels now. How do you even do that? How do you, like, how do you even do that? But it's not the kingdom of God. And it's not the church of Jesus Christ. That's not how we're called to operate as the church in this consumeristic, me-centered approach. And, and we do this, right? We pick our churches based on how funny that guy is. We, pay, we pick our churches based on whether they entertained my kid in children's ministry, not whether they like actually taught them the Bible, but did you just, did you just keep them busy? For, does your church have a slide for your kids? No? Okay, next church, please. Right, it's real, it's out there. There's this consumeristic thing. And so that's one reason. That's one reason that we don't view the church as an equipping center. We view it as something to participate in because we're taught in the rest of our world that we're just here to consume, not to be equipped to participate. The other reason, let me take it off of, off of like church members, all right? I picked on you guys. Let me now pick on us. I think we also, as church leaders, have created a system of Christianity that says, hey, you know what? Just come. Just get here. I know it's really hard to get here. So just get here. If you can contribute financially, great. Do that. Okay, that's great. But, but if not, it's okay. Okay, just, just come. Just contribute. Just show up to the programs we do. And if you can, jump on the serve team. And, and what we do is we reduce being a minister, like being a saint that's equipped to wage war on the kingdom of darkness. That's what Ephesians 4 calls us. We reduce that down to saying, you know what? The God of, of the universe, who is inexhaustibly awesome, who has unsearchable riches, immeasurable grace, immeasurable power, he's given you a gift. And if you could just use that gift to, to pour coffee for people on Sunday morning and smile at them, then you'd really be using that gift and you'd be living out your purpose. Now hear me, those are all great things. Praise Jesus for the people who serve in coffee ministry, amen? That's maybe coming back next week and like my heart's ready. 
okay? It's good to show up on Sunday morning. It's good to partner financially. It's good to participate in what the church is participating in. It's good to have community here. It's good to get on the serve team and to serve the house that you participate in. Like you, you are a part of this family and every part of the family has a role to play. So we all like serving in the church is good. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying your purpose goes far beyond what you contribute to this building on a Sunday morning goes far beyond that. And we as church leaders have painted this picture where we go, if you just, if you can just get here, if you could just give a little money, and if you can just serve every now and then, every other week is fine. That, that's all you need to do and you'll go to heaven someday. You have been called for so much greater. You've been called for so much deeper. You've been called to something so much more significant if we understand the gospel fully, we would understand that the gifts that we've been given exist so that we can make an eternal impact. Right? Last one. This is why it gets tough because of the last one. There's an invitation then for our growth. Paul says in the last few verses, he says, until we all attain starting in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's none of that going on right now, by the way. That was sarcastic. It's all over the place. Okay, keep going. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's two observations I have about the invitation into growing. And the first is that you maybe wouldn't derive it if you only looked at this text, but as you look at the greater narrative of scripture, you see that there should always be new life present in the church. And so the thing about growth is that we will always have people that are growing. You get that? Like how many of you, like, is anyone just arrived spiritually? They're just like, you know what? I'm there. Like Jesus. No one says that. We're all growing. We're all on this process. We're all getting better. But what this implies to me is that there's always new life present. And so here's, here's what I'll say. The church always has to be a little bit messy because there will be spiritual infants that are present. I think of, I think of you know, I've had three infants now in my life. And I think, of, I think of how messy they are. They mess themselves, right? They, they eat messy. Like a baby, you got to like burp it for a half an hour only to have it like throw up all over you. So now it's messy, you're messy, your house is messy, you got all this different stuff. Like kids are messy and they're part of the family, right? Kids are part of this family. And so if our benchmark for maturity is how I live my life or how mature I am, then we will continue to be, like, we will always be a stagnant church if that's how we view the church. Going, hey, to come in here and to participate in here and to be in this community, to hang out here, you have to be at X level of maturity. That church will just slowly, slowly, slowly die. There always needs to be a space. There always needs to be a place for new spiritual life to exist and to be valued. To be valued enough in a way where we say, hey, you know what? I'm willing to walk a journey. I'm willing to be patient. I'm going to be humble enough to approach a conversation. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be gentle with you so that you might grow. Because the other thing that we don't want to allow is, is 30-year-olds spiritually who can shave and are grown and are full stature and they're infants spiritually still. 
where, where rather than eating like the steak and the potatoes and the bacon of the gospel, they're still stuck on milk. That's the other picture that Paul would paint for us, right? So I'm not saying that you don't have an expectation for growth. Healthy things grow. Kent said that all the time. Healthy things do grow. And so we're going to watch healthy things grow. We just can't eliminate the availability for small, unhealthy, um, spiritually young people to exist and be welcomed here. And so there's always new life present. Um, but the other thing that I say is that we must, the other thing I see in this scripture is that we must grow so that we get to a stature Right? That's what he is saying there, that you would grow so that you are strong enough, so that you are able-bodied to withstand all these different things, these different ideologies, these different schemes that would come against you so they don't knock you around. You need to grow to this full sense of stature. And he uses a picture here I love because I've been to the ocean with my kids. And he says, I don't want you to be tossed by every wave that would come. And I think every parent, you know how like horrifying it is to watch your kids in the ocean. The ocean don't care about your kids, right? Like it, it's bigger, it's stronger than they are and it'll just blow them around. And, and so I'm like, hey, you can go out like shin deep in that water. That's it. You know, run away from the waves as they come to you. But as like a, a fully grown person, you can stand there and the waves come. He doesn't say waves won't come. He doesn't say false teaching won't come, but you have a stature that can, that can bear it, that can hold your ground. And, and so this takes a few things. It takes a few things to grow to that kind of stature. It takes a community that you're honest with, that you belong to. And so I love that we're still making church at home, that we're still doing church at home for the people who can't be here. There's a lot of people, if you've noticed, that aren't participating yet in church. And we're saying that's okay and that's fine. But for new people who are finding us in this time, because there's been several people who have found us on YouTube, I just want to continually remind them, hey, God's heart for you is to exist with a real community of people, not, not online where you can like just throw something in the chats, but that you would actually show up and be known by people, that you would take the veil off, take the mask off so people can see the real you. And this is where I know that this part gets hard. Growing, growing hurts, does it not? I'm six foot five. Like there's a lot of that that was painful, okay? Growing is painful because it takes a certain level of honesty with the people around us. We've got to go, hey, here's, here's what I'm really struggling with. The humility it takes to open the Bible up, even after you've been in church for a little while, and go, hey, I don't understand what this is saying. Can you help me? That's why we need people who've been around the block spiritually several times. So we go, oh, yeah, I can teach you about that. Because, you know, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. And so all these, like, new ideas that start creeping up, and they say, oh, well, you know, let's, well, hell, like, that's not really a thing. It's more just like, this. and you go, whoa, hold on. Let me talk to people who've been around this block a few times and they can speak wisdom into me. They can speak insight into my life. It's important. It's pivotal. So you got to have a community that knows you. You also have to have, um, you also have to be humble enough to receive feedback from people. This is a hard one. If people are consistently speaking something into your life, I hope you're listening. And I'm not saying listen to everybody, okay? Like, again, I hope you just actually stay out of the comments section on Facebook. That is a, that is a dangerous place to get yourself. Amen? Amen, somebody. Amen. But you need to be willing and ready to listen to people who say, hey, you know what? I saw this in you, and I think, uh, I think we need to talk about it a little bit. It takes people who are bold enough, kind enough, loving enough to address things that are off. And also takes people who are humble enough to say, hey, yeah, I need some, I need some help. My behavior, my walk is not matching my calling right now. Will you help me? So it needs this community. It needs this help. It needs these people 
Um, the last thing is that uh, I think I think one that I, I want to take a moment just to address uh, a popular scheme, a cunning scheme that's going on right now, and just kind of call to light what I think we as the church need to be aware of that is a crafty human scheme versus a godly, God-centered approach to things. Um, I think we really need to be intentionally watching as the church movements that cry out for godly things that are divorced from God himself. So there's whole movements right now that are seeking after things that I want. Justice. Equal, like equal opportunity for things. Like they, they want things that I do believe God wants. They want justice. Like God is a God of justice. He is a God of mercy. Like he is these things. But you have movements that have detached themselves from God. They're not trying to get there in God's vehicle. They're trying to do it on their own. Be that the government, be that any other scheme or organization that's trying to advance something. We just need to be aware. The only way, if we're going to believe last week's message at all, the only way we're going to actually bring sustainable change into the world is with the gospel, is with heart transformation. Now that's not to say that we shouldn't care about systemic issues and we should just preach the gospel. Have you heard that a lot recently? Man, I wish churches would just preach the gospel right now and they wouldn't get so involved. Well, hold on. We don't say that about just about any other issue. We don't say that about the trafficking industry in Southeast Asia. We don't say that about the abortion matter that's in our country. We don't just preach the gospel to that. We get involved. And so, Again, if you want to know kind of my heart on this, you can go back to week four in the very first series I preached. But I, I, if you want to track movements that are seeking after godly things, but they're not using God himself to get there, I think that actually starts with the church abdicating her responsibility, getting punting on her responsibility to get involved in the least of these, the most marginalized. And that's when someone goes, well, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to pick up this line in racial tension. Someone's got to run forward to make sure the systems match this racial oppression that's happening. And you can argue or not whether that's happening. I'm just saying the, the fact of the matter is, is that the church should be running towards those issues. We should be, we should be begging to get involved in, in not just um, the sanctity of life in the womb, but we should be running towards things like foster care. We should be running towards things like adoption. We should be running towards the marginalized and the least of these. And we should be, and we should be asking for systemic change where there needs to be systemic change. But I cannot pledge allegiance to a movement that wants to get godly things if it's going to divorce itself from God himself. That's where I think the church needs to become the hope of the world. Where we need to see problems, we need to go, we need to reach, we need to go out to the marginal. And, and that's, again, I, when we were praying earlier, I said, hey, you know what? We need to pray that this message wouldn't just be something that we hear because what the reality is, we, we hear a message like this and we're like, okay, I want to be part of the kingdom of God. I want to go and advance his mission. I want to go and I want to push back darkness. And then we get to Monday morning and we're like, ah, it's just kind of business as usual at work. And so what I want you to see this morning is that Good Shepherd Church is not, we have 15 people on staff here part-time, full-time capacities all over the place, administrative, pastors, different helpers in different ministries. We have all these people. If you just sit here and expect us to perform ministry for you, we will always be limited to what the 15 of us can do. And it's a good team and we bust our butts. We work hard. 
We do, we do some great stuff. But the vision that God has for the church, the vision that we have for this church, is not that we would have 15 people executing and leading ministry on Sunday mornings, in prayer time on Wednesday night, in women's Bible studies on Friday mornings, but that we would actually see ourselves as 350 ministers for the gospel, going out into our city, going out into our region, and bringing heaven to earth. That you wouldn't just be someone who attends Good Shepherd, but you would be someone that's equipped by Good Shepherd, that's sent by Good Shepherd, placed by God, called by Jesus, equipped, empowered by the Spirit, equipped and, and given direction by Good Shepherd Church. That, you wouldn't, that we would see ourselves not as just like having a kid's ministry, but we'd see all the stay-at-home moms that participate in this church. You're not just a stay-at-home mom. You are a minister for the gospel of reconciliation in your home, training up disciples to be kingdom shakers for the next generation. Right, like you, you don't just, like we have, I want us to see our church not as just minister, people who show up to the ministry of Good Shepherd Church, but that see ourselves as ministers placed at schools, at our places of work. Some, like this congregate, like this group right now, a lot of you are retired, but you go to Loveland Coffee, you go to Walmart, you're at the grocery store, you have friend groups. I just hope that you see yourself as a minister placed by God, equipped, resourced by him to go and make a difference, to bring heaven to earth in that space that you're in. That's the vision of church that we have. And that's the invitation that's before you today. So I think for some of you that are new, this has been our heartbeat for a long time. I'm preaching nothing new this morning, okay? But if you want a church that will mostly just entertain you, this is probably the wrong spot. We're going to continually ask you that you would be doing hard things for the kingdom of God. So that's not going to make us the most popular. It's not going to make us the most flashy and entertaining, but it's who we're going to be. And I hope it's something that you decide to participate in. I genuinely do. I genuinely hope that this is where you can land and find your church home and that you would see yourself growing and becoming equipped so that you can go out and do the things that we talk about on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is simply meant to just be an inhale so we might go blow out the rest of the week. That's why we're here. And so if you're part of this community, that's what I hope, that's what, that's what is our DNA, is that we are ministers of the gospel, equipped by the church, sent, placed, called, empowered by God to go where he's placed us. Let's pray. Actually here, will you guys stand with me? We'll pray. Jesus, this is impossible without you. We would never get there if we just relied on our own strength, we just relied on our own wisdom or our own giftedness, our own knacks, God. Help us to see the unique wiring you've placed in each of us, God. And even though I love our children's ministry volunteers, even though I love our, our serve team that opens doors for people and and greets people and prays for people and hands out coffee. God, would you just help us see ourselves as so much more than just a server in the house? It's a good thing. It's not a complete thing. Help us to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. Help us to be a place where spiritually young people can belong and grow and thrive where they're cared for, where they're appreciated, where we're patient with them, God. And help us, Jesus, at the end of the day, what we want to see is a church that's not limited by the availability or the resources of 15, but that we are 
but that we are moving in this city, moving against the kingdom of darkness with a, with a population of the 300, 400 of us that call this church home. So much more power in that unity, God. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.